Amen. The God of all my days. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words, what? Will never hurt you. What a great little saying for people who get bullied and want to convince themselves that it doesn't matter. Right? But we know that sticks and stones, even if we are hit by them, can't hurt us as much as words do. I mean, take a look at this stick. I could use this stick for a couple of different things. I could use this stick to beat someone with, to just bluntly hurt them. If I know enough about human anatomy, I could carve a point and get you right where it hurts, right? We can do the same thing with our words. Be very blunt with them or get somebody right where we know it's going to hurt. Or I could take a stick and I could lay them out on the ground so that as you walk across the mud, you don't get dirty. Now you could use a stick and, and build a wall or a shield to protect you. A rock. I could use a rock and I could, I could hurl this at you. This is, this is a heavy rock. I wish that I had picked a smaller rock from my yard because it's getting heavy. Rocks. I, I, could, I could hit somebody with a rock. Or I could just slowly start piling heavy rocks into their heart's backpack until they get so weighed down they can't move. We can do the same thing with words. Or I could take a rock and I can put a lot of them up in a row and build like a firm foundation so that someone could build a house or maybe a life on top of that rock. Or on top of my words. I could use a rock to build a wall. So that when things come at a person. They're protected. I can protect people. With my words. Sticks and stones are like words. Words are like sticks and stones. We're going to talk about that today. When we take a look at King David. And his life. In 2 Samuel chapters 16 and 17. We're going to take a look at God's word. God's word always builds up. Some, it's always truth. Sometimes the truth has to tear us down in order to build us up stronger. But it's always for our good, God's word. So as we take a look at 2 Samuel 16 and 17, let's pray before we do. Ask God's word to have power in our lives. Father, you have spoken to us words, words of life and words of truth. And Lord, we want our words to be words of life and words of truth. We want our words to be part of building up your kingdom in this world. And so we pray, Father, that your word to us this morning would change us and strengthen us and build us up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So David... King David is uh, fleeing the country. He's left the palace, left Jerusalem, the capital. And he has gone up the Mount of Olives. And he's on his way down, heading towards the River Jordan. At the very same time, his son, Absalom, the rebel, has begun a civil war against his father. And is bringing his group of men into the city and into the palace. And in this very intense time, the weapons of this warfare are not just physical weapons. Words are being used to either destroy or strengthen. So we're going to take a look at four different players 
in these two chapters. Four different characters and their use of words. And we want to take those use of words and we're going to put them in a box to help us define the use of words. Because words uh, can either build or destroy. So I can destroy things that are good. I can destroy things that are bad with my words. I can build up things that are good or I can build up things that are bad with my words. Obviously, as believers in Christ, we want to destroy what is bad and build up what is good with our words. But as we look at these four characters, we're going to place their words into this box. And as we do that, I want to ask ourselves two questions. One, what kind of words most often come out of my mouth? Words that build up the good or build up the bad? Words that destroy the good or destroy the bad? First question, what kind of words come out of my mouth? The second question I want to ask myself as we look at these four characters and their use of words is what do I do with the words that are given to me? How do I respond to building up words? How do I respond to tearing down words? And I think God's word will help us a little bit. So let's take a look at, uh, at this area. The first person we're going to take a look at is Zeba. Zeba. 2 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to take a look at Zeba and his words. Verse 1. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, that's of the Mount of Olives, Zeba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him. Now, you remember Mephibosheth, right? He was the grandson of Saul. Saul was the king before David. He had a son, Jonathan. Jonathan had a son, Mephibosheth, right? And Mephibosheth was lame in his feet. Do you remember this? And David invited Mephibosheth because he wanted to honor Jonathan. He invited Mephibosheth into his palace. And Mephibosheth, even though he was a descendant of Saul, a Benjaminite from the tribe of Benjamin, he was still brought into David's palace from the tribe of Judah. And, uh, and now Ziba, his servant, is leaving as David leaves. And this servant, Ziba, had a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. He was bringing supplies for these exiles so they could survive in the wilderness. Verse 3, And the king said, and where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he, Mephibosheth, remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. And then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. Ziba was saying, Mephibosheth is glad that the house of David is falling because maybe the house of Saul can come back. At least that's what Ziba was saying that Mephibosheth was feeling. But Ziba was a liar. Now we're going to bounce forward a little bit. I, this is a spoiler alert. If you have not read 2 Samuel, this is a spoiler alert. Okay, David is going to win the civil war against Absalom. Okay, we need to know that because we're going to jump now. Let's, let's jump forward uh, to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 19. So David has won the civil war, and now he's coming back into Jerusalem, and Mephibosheth is there. 
the one who Ziba said had betrayed him. Let's see really what happened. 2 Samuel 19, verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I, that I may ride on it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. But he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided. You and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. So what exactly is this that Ziba did? Ziba slandered. Ziba slandered. We would put slander in that destroying the good. Slander is when I speak evil about another person. I am destroying someone's reputation. I am tearing down someone with my words. They're not even in the room. And I'm tearing them down. And that's what makes slander so difficult. You know, in, in my time of counseling with people and, and helping people, one of the places I see a lot of slander, at least people tell me, is in cases of divorce. Where one parent starts talking to the kids about the other parent. And it feels very hopeless because you're not there to answer for what they're accusing you of. And your reputation is just, just dropping. And you can't do anything about it. This is the tricky thing about slander. I cannot speak into my reputation. If I try to convince you with my words that, hey, I'm a good guy, it looks like boasting, it looks like defensiveness, I cannot speak into my reputation. I can only be myself and trust that people are smart enough to know who I am and what I'm like. Well, how did Mephibosheth respond to this slander? He responds with truth and trust. How do I respond when someone slanders against me? Truth and and trust. Now, by truth, what I mean is I do speak the truth about the situation. I can't convince someone to just trust me, but I can at least speak the truth about myself. And we saw Mephibosheth do that. Lord, let me explain to you why I didn't follow you up the Mount of Olives and down again and across the Jordan River. Because I'm lame, and the horse I was supposed to take, my servant filled with a bunch of supplies and left before I could get there. I'm just speaking the truth. And I have to trust. I have to trust the Lord with my reputation. I have to trust people to be smart enough to know who I am, to know me well enough that if someone slanders me, they know me. And the people who don't know me, there's really nothing I can do about it. I'm going to trust my reputation to the Lord. And that's what Mephibosheth did. It's interesting that, that he is speaking truth. 
He is speaking truth. This is when I speak to build up the good. That's truth. And that's what Mephibosheth was speaking. And his heart was so different than his servant Ziba's. Look at the last word that Ziba said. We were in 2 Samuel chapter 16, the, verse 4. The last word that Ziba said is he was slandering Mephibosheth. He said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. It was almost like he was saying, I appreciate my relationship with the king for what you can do for me. Right? What was Mephibosheth's last words? Back in 2 Samuel 19, Mephibosheth's last words were, verse 30, Oh, let him take it all. You know, David had just given him half his land back. He said, let Ziba take it all, since my Lord the king has come safely home. Jesus said that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What was in Ziba's heart? Oh, that I might find favor with the king. What was in Mephibosheth's heart? Oh, that my king would be put back in his rightful place. You see the difference? And when we speak, we reveal our hearts. And so as we look at this idea of slander, we have to ask ourselves our two evaluated questions. What kind of words are coming out of my mouth? Do I speak evil of other people when they're not there? Do I say things about people that I wouldn't say if they were there, but I'll say them when they're not? And my second question is, if I've been slandered, how am I going to handle that? I'm going to merely speak and live the truth, and I'm going to trust my reputation to the Lord. All right, slander. Second, second character we meet is Shammai. Shammai, verse 5 now. Back to 2 Samuel 16. We're talking to Shammai. When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shammai, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right hand and on his left. And Shammai said as he cursed, Get out! Get out, you man of blood, you worthless man! The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul." in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son, Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Shammai is cursing. Shammai is cursing. Again, destroying the good. Slander is speaking evil about someone. Cursing is speaking evil to someone. They're actually there. Can you imagine accusing the king the boldness to stand up on a hill as the king and his entourage is, is, in, is leaving in exile, hurling, just picking up dust and stones and sticks and whatever you can find and throwing those things at him and throwing these curses upon him. Apparently, there was still this festering uh, competition between the house of Saul and the house of David. If you received the um, Reflections of Grace magazine as you came in, I strongly suggest you take a look at Pastor Phil's article on bullying. Not right now. See, that's the danger of passing out the Reflections of Grace as you come in, is that you might find it more interesting than whatever's happening up here. 
But put that aside for a minute. But I refer to you to an article by Pastor Phil, our youth pastor, on bullying. That's really what cursing is, right? Saying something cruel, tearing something down, tearing somebody down with your words. I see this among spouses. This daily, continually tearing each other down with words. It's spousal abuse. The choice of words that we use, the names that we call each other, the tone, the volume that we use, or what, how we speak to our children. I remember in a, in a place where we used to live, my wife and I, we lived in a, in a townhouse area, and they had a uh, chiropractor that worked, shared a parking lot with us. And I remember pulling out from our parking lot, and there was a family going to the chiropractor. And uh, the two, the mom and the dad were walking. I think the mom was walking. The dad was by the, was by the car still. And one of the kids ran from the car to the mom without waiting for dad. And dad just swore that kid out. What the blank do you think you're doing? His motivation was good. Protect your child. they, They shouldn't run in the parking lot. But how he did it was tearing his daughter down, calling her a name with an angry tone and a loud voice. Because his toddler daughter was running to mom in the parking lot. Spousal abuse, child abuse, elder abuse. How we speak to people. Are we tearing them down? Or are we building them up? And here's the second question. What do I do if someone is cursing me? How do I respond? This one's trickier. This one's trickier. Follow me here for a little bit. I want to respond with humble justice and truth. When I get cursed, when someone speaks evil directly to me, how do I respond? Humble justice and trust. Let me break humble justice down a little bit. Humility first. Let's watch what does David do as Shammai is not only throwing rocks at him, but cursing him, throwing words at him. What does David do? Verse 9. Abishai, the son of Zeruah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. See, that's one way to respond to a curse, right? Fire back. You're going to use that tongue to hurt me, I'm going to cut it right out of your face, right? But what does David say? The king said, verse 10, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, he said, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite, Shammai, leave him alone And let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. Do you see that element of humility? The element of trusting God? If what he says is right, and I deserve it, and this is God's judgment, let it be so. Rain it down. And if it's not God's judgment, and Shammai is the one in the wrong, let God take care of it. 
I will receive it. Now, that's a hard thing to do. And I'm not saying that in, in a marriage relationship you should just take it because we have to get to the justice part. But what I'm talking about right now is humility. I'm talking about attitude right now. What is my attitude towards someone who curses me? My attitude is going to be one of humility and trust, right? Verse 13, so David and his men went on the road while Shammai went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and he flung dust. You know, this humble attitude is difficult. Hurtful words were a big part of David's anguish throughout his life. And you will see it showing up in the Psalms as he writes songs to God he mentions the words that people use to him. And this is an element of trust. When someone is cursing you, you give those curses up to the Lord. Say, this is what people are saying about me. Turn to Psalm 52 if you've got your Bibles. Psalm 52, I'm just giving you some examples of things that David prayed to the Lord. 52 verse 2, it says he's talking to the Lord while well, he's talking to a person. Um, as he talks to the Lord, he says, Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. See, this is something that he was wrestling with. Flip over to Psalm 59, Psalm 59, verses 6 and 7. David, again, talking to the Lord, he says, Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city, there they are bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who they think will hear us. Down to verse 12. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and the lies that they utter, consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. There is this humility a trust that God will care for me, and a putting of justice into God's hands, not my own. There is still a call for justice. We know that it is not right to curse. We know it is not right to be cursed. We sense the injustice, but we're going to give that justice to God. We're going to cry out and say, God, consume them. Trap them. In their pride, there is still a call for justice. One last one, Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, it's our memory verse. But before we get to our memory verse, let's pop up to verse 13, 34, 13. David reminds us, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. It was lying, deceitfulness, political maneuvering, cursing, working up against me, getting other people to also come against me. It's hard. How do we respond? Our memory verse, Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Let's say that together. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. You know, when people slander us and when they curse us, it breaks our heart, right? And what does David, what did David experience? What can we experience? That the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted because of slander and cursing. That when your spirit is crushed because of slander and cursing, the Lord saves those who are crushed. 
by the slander and the cursing. This humble trust. But justice needs to be done, doesn't it? Justice needs to be done. I would never suggest that a person who's being verbally abused by their spouse to say that you have to remain in that situation. You just need to be humble and let them do it. That's not what the scriptures are teaching us here. Turn with me. I know I'm bouncing around a little, but turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 2. David is on his deathbed in 1 Kings chapter 2. And his son Solomon is coming up behind him. He's going to be the next king. And there's some loose ends that David would like Solomon to tie off for him. And Shammai, the cursor, is one of those loose ends. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 8. David says to his son Solomon, as he's transferring the kingship over to him, he says, There is also with you Shammai, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahaniam. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, when as he was coming back, he said, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore, Solomon, do not hold him guiltless. You are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. You know, Solomon, the problem with Shammai was that he had in this ulterior, ulterior motive that he wants the kingdom to be removed from our lineage. It's dangerous for you to keep that kind of guy around. You know what to do. Bring his head down in blood. You know, justice is going to come to the abuser. Justice is going to come to the slanderer. Justice is going to come to the cursor. But I'm going to have a humble spirit and I'm going to trust the Lord that those who curse and slander will be dealt with by the right people at the right time. I need to build my trust. It's difficult. It's difficult when we're cursed. Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Great advice. Sorry, Jesus, I don't have it in me. But that's okay. Because it's not me that's going to do it. It's God's Spirit in me that's going to strengthen me to bless the person who curses me. As the Holy Spirit indwells me, I will have the power to live like Jesus. Jesus blessed those who cursed them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing as he's bleeding out. And we can say the same thing as we're bleeding out because the Spirit of God is in us. And we can, we can be humble. We can wait for justice. We can trust. All right. Slander, cursing. We got a third one here. Number three, Ahithophel. Why does everyone in the Old Testament have names that are hard to pronounce? It's this, the preacher's curse. Mephibosheth, Ahithophel, Shammai. Whew. Okay, Ahithophel. What's he doing? Ahithophel was the counselor to King David. And as David left, Ahithophel stayed. And so as Absalom, the traitor, comes in, he goes to Ahithophel for some advice. Goes to him for some advice. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 20. 
Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? I'm here in the, in the palace. The city is mine. My father is on the run. What do we do? What's the next step? And Ahithophel says, Go in to your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father. And the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. And so they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. People knew Ahithophel was a person who had insight. But when you use your insight to do evil, we call it craftiness. He was using words, giving advice, manipulating the situation in order to build up something bad. I want to strengthen you, Absalom, and I understand the politics. If you go in and you have relations with the king's concubines, you are proving to everyone that you now rule, that there is no way that this can be resolved except that either you die or David dies. You've drawn the line in the sand, and you've crossed it. Excellent advice and very wicked. Excellent political advice and extremely wicked in the sight of God. And so we call that craftiness. When you have insight into the world and how people work, but you use it for evil ends, we call it craftiness. How do you respond when someone is crafty, when they are wise and secretive, and they're working against you? This is what David used, compassion and trust. Do you see a similarity so far with all of them? See that trust word keep showing up? You remember that. Compassion. David is going to show compassion not on the crafty, but on those who have been hurt by the craftiness of the crafty. He's going to show compassion on those who were hurt. Fast forward again. At the end of the Civil War, and in chapter 20, David returns. What's he going to do with this craftiness here? Verse 3, chapter 20, verse 3. David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten concubines whom he had left to care for the house. And he put them in a house under guard. Under guard, why? To protect them. So no one else can do what Absalom did to them. And he provided for them. But he did not go into them. He took those who were dehumanized and used as tools for someone else's agenda. And he showed compassion on them. And he cared for them. Wonderful, wonderful explanation and description, a display of someone who has been hurt, but in that hurt, he is caring for the other people who have been hurt as well. It takes a lot of inner strength to do that, to care for someone else while you are being hurt. But that's what David did, compassion and trust. Trust, again, he's trusting the Lord. Lord, I can't do anything about Ahithophel. He is outside of my uh, ability to control, so I have to trust you. Many, many times this is what we need to do when we are being attacked by words. We just have to trust God. 
And behind the scenes, listen, behind the scenes, God is working. No one sees it yet, but, it's, but he's working to defeat Absalom. Chapter 17, 2 Samuel 17, verse 14. At the end of verse 14, it tells us what God is doing. It, this shows us that David was right and good and wise to trust the Lord. It says, uh, 17, 14, last part of it. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. David was right to trust God because God is going to do what God wants to do, even using wicked people to do it. Those wicked people will come to the end that they deserve. Perhaps not at our, by our hands, but I will trust the Lord. All of these are just bad uses of, the, of words, aren't they? And it just seems like the world is full of bad people using words in a way that destroy. But you know what? That's not going to wear us down. That's not going to discourage us. We are going to use words that build up. Remember, sticks and stones, they can be used to destroy, but they can be used to build. In South Park, they're building a log cabin. Have you driven by and seen that? And they're doing it the old-fashioned way with hard work. And it's taken them like two years. It's like forever that they're working on it. But if you look on the very base of it, there's rocks. It's a little hard to see, but there's like bricks there on the bottom giving a foundation. Using these rocks, not to destroy something, but to build a foundation. Using that, that wood, the log, the sticks to build protection. We can use words to build. Even first graders can use words to build. Like the ones who wrote a letter to Blair Walsh. Blair Walsh is, was the place kicker for the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, in his career, he had made 33 out of 34 field goals if they were 30 yards or less. He's running at like 98, 99%. And so in 2016, it's a playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks, and it's 10 to 9. They're behind by one point. 22 seconds left, and they're on their own 27-yard line. Blair Walsh, 98 to 99% chance these babies are going to win. He takes the kick, and it goes wide. They lose the playoff game. They're out. They're out for the whole rest of the season. You're done. Pack it up, Vikings. You're out of here. And there was a social media storm directed against Walsh. But in the midst of that storm... A group of first graders in Minnesota set out to encourage this broken-hearted kicker. And so they sent him a note. One of the notes said, Dear Blair Walsh, I think you should keep trying. Don't give up. We still love you. Get better by practicing. <laughs> you know, at the beginning of first service, I was sitting like right over there in the front row. That's where I always sit. And somebody walked by. The service hadn't started yet. People were finding their seats. And, and a guy walked by, a friend of mine walked by and said, Pastor Nate, love you. What a great thing to say. You know what? There's only one thing that's more encouraging than to say, we love you. You know what it is? We still love you. We still love you. If you could hear, we still love you. If someone knows you failed, someone knows maybe that you did wrong, 
and they come up to you and they say, we still love you. Doesn't that build you up? Second letter, second letter. Here he comes. Dear Blair, Oop, go back one more, sorry. Dear Blair, I feel bad for you. Don't give up. You're still number one. Practice more so that you can get better at kicking. I know someone who needs to practice more to get better at spelling. You're so good at kicking, so don't give up. Keep trying. And there are those four words again. We still love you. First graders know that their words, just like sticks and stones, they can be used to destroy or they can be used to build. And that's our last man. Praise God. Thank the Lord for those who use their words to build up like Hushai did. Like Hushai did. Ahithophel had given Absalom some advice. He says, give me 12,000 men. I'm going to hunt David down right now and kill him. I'm not even going to go for the Israelites, the people that are with him. We're just going to take 12,000 men and we're going just for him. I'll bring his head back. Great advice, great military advice. Now Hushai, if you remember, was left in the palace on purpose by David to try to counteract any advice that Ahithophel gives. You remember that? So Hushai gives advice to Absalom. And he says, whoa, your dad, David, he's a warrior. For years, he hid in the wilderness. He's like a guerrilla fighter. He's an expert at this stuff. He lived in the wilderness and hiding in caves. If you go after him now, he's going to let you pass him by, and then he's going to pop out. He's going to cut you down. Even a small victory on David's part, it's going to take all the energy out of your guys, and you're going to lose the whole thing. My advice, Hushai says, gather the entire army up. Get thousands and thousands and thousands of men. And then you yourself, you go out to the field and you take this guy out, this David out. By the way, this advice ends up being the downfall of Absalom because he was on the field during the time of the Civil War. And they agree, Absalom agrees to take Hushai's advice. What is Hushai doing? Hushai is using wisdom. Hushai is using wisdom to destroy the bad. There's, my dear king and friend is in trouble. Wickedness has rised up against him. And I will use wisdom to break that evil down. I will use what I can. And Absalom ends up agreeing with Hushai's wisdom. Insightful advice for good ends. That's wisdom. And so because Absalom takes his advice, Hushai then institutes the spy network that David had built up. And he went to the high priests and in private tells them what's going on. They tell their sons, the high priest's sons, the high priest's sons, they run. But somehow Absalom's guys know, his servants know that there's a spy network and they're out trying to hunt these guys down. So they hide in a well until the servants of Absalom miss them and go on their way. They come out of the well and they go to David to give him information about what Absalom's plans are. Verse 21. It's very exciting. You, you need to read it all. We don't have time this morning, but it's a great drama. And it's true. Verse 17, verse 21. After they had gone, the men came up out of the well and they went and they told King David. They said to David, Arise, go quickly over the water. That's the Jordan River. For thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. And so David arose. See, he had rested on this side of the river. 
But if you can cross the river, then you can't, it's harder to attack a person because you're trying to cross the river with all your men and you can't attack or defend very well in the water. And so if, if David can get across the Jordan River, he'll be safe. So David arose and all the people who were with him and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan River. How do you respond when someone speaks wisdom into your life? You obey. You obey wisdom and you trust the Lord. We're going to close this morning by reviewing our two questions. What kind of words do I use? If my words are an overflow of my heart, what's my heart like? My words are sticks and they're stones. Am I using my words to build the good up and to destroy wickedness? Second question, how do I respond to people's words? Here's the amazing thing. No matter what kind of words are brought into your life, they can all build your trust. Did you see that trust was a response to every word? Someone blesses you, you obey, and you trust God. Someone curses you, then, then you trust God with humble justice. So what's my attitude? Do I speak truth? Am I humble? Do I have compassion on those around me? Do I obey wisdom? I can build my faith no matter what the world's words are thrown at me. Let's just spend a moment in quiet asking God to help us use our words the right way and also to receive words in a way that builds our faith. I'll let you pray in the quietness of your own heart. Father, forgive me for using words to injure people. I turn my life over you. I repent of that. And I ask you to forgive me and save me. And I pray that you would fill me up so that I can speak words that build others up. And Father, give me strength to receive whatever words may come that always my eyes turn to you. Whether I am cursed or slandered, whether there's craftiness or truth, or wisdom. Father, may it all turn around to faith in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise for your benediction this morning. That the Lord might go with you this morning. And now may the God of truth and wisdom fill your soul with himself so that your words reflect his love and his will to build his kingdom to his glory. Amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you.